welcome you tonight to the T.W. Willingham Preacher of the Year series. It's our privilege to have Reverend Norman Moore as our speaker for this series, which was instituted in 1989. Uh, this program sponsors the Preacher of the Year Chapel series and is funded by the family of the late Dr. T.W. Willingham, Miriam Strange, Charles and Albert Willingham. Just the note about Reverend Moore, my friend, it's a joy to have him and his lovely wife, Vicki, who's coming in now, uh, with us for this series this week. Uh, evangelist Norman Moore became a Christian and was called to preach as a boy of 11 in Pueblo, Colorado. He received his ministerial training at Pasadena College, which is now Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego, and the California Graduate School of Theology in Glendale, California. Reverend Moore was ordained in 1973. In 1979, he organized the Norman Moore Ministries Incorporated, a nonprofit evangelistic association. He is a tenured evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. In fact, he has been doing revivals across the U.S. and literally the world for 34 years. Hardly seems possible. He's no stranger to us here. I think this is his fifth time to be at NBC, and you're going to really enjoy his ministry this week as he preaches the Word of God. Father, thank you for this time to turn our hearts and minds to you and to hear from your word. Bless our speaker tonight. Bless Norman Moore as he brings your word to us. And we'll give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks. Well, it's a blessing for me to be back at Nazarene Bible College. I want to say first, congratulations for your heartfelt pursuit of God's call on your life. You wouldn't be here if you didn't want to be here. And you wouldn't be here if you didn't sense down inside a strong leadership of the Holy Spirit guiding you into full-time Christian service in whatever specific endeavor and application. God's here this evening. And he wants to talk to our hearts from his word. I need to ask you something. Have you ever noticed that your windshield is much larger than your rearview mirror? Now, that's the dumbest question you'll hear all day. Do you ever wonder why? The answer is obvious. We're intended to move forward far more than we're intended to move backwards. I've known some folks in quite unhealthy ways spend inappropriate amount of time beating themselves up for their sins and the habits and hang-ups and mess-ups of the past. I got some great news for you tonight. Your windshield is way bigger than your rearview mirror. And God wants you to move forward through your ministerial education and out into the ministries that God has strategized in his heart and mind for you. Right this very second, God's got a great idea. 
what your life would look like, what my life would look like, and fully conform to his holy strategy and divine purpose. Sometimes we need to quit looking in a rearview mirror where we've been and look forward to the windshield and step on a gas and get moving in that direction. Have you ever done what you promised you'd never do? Have you ever said what you promised you'd never say? Have you ever gone where you promised you'd never go? Have you ever been what you promised you'd never be? Let's get it over with. The answer for all of us is, yes. How do I know? We're all human. I looked the whole crowd over. Don't see one extraterrestrial here. A couple I was wondering about. And in our humanness, we're not absolutely perfect 100% of the time. We have flaws. And sometimes we use our freedom of choice in an impulsive, unintentional, but still inappropriate way. The good news of the evening is your windshield's way bigger than your rearview mirror. What's the Lord's attitude towards our times of inconsistency? our stumble, our failures, our shortfalls in walking with him in a holy life. Peter's experience provides a good look for us this evening. Let's spend a few minutes retracing his steps. We'll begin in Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, at verse 31. Luke 22, 31st verse, Jesus using Peter's formal name twice in succession, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You ever done what you promised you'd never do? Peter had that same experience. Jesus and Peter had a conversation. And Jesus, in his kind, loving, tender, empathetic way, warns him of a storm that's forthcoming. Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. I'm a curious Bible student, and I wondered, what's the deal about repeating his name twice in succession? We don't do that in our culture, do we? I mean, don't you think it'd be kind of weird if I said, John, John, Dave, Dave, Bob, Bob, Joe, Joe? Well, I looked it up. You know what I found out? In the vernacular of Jesus' language in that day, when an individual's name was used twice in succession, it carried a tone and a flavor of empathy and compassion and care and concern. Need to get a good grip on it early this evening. Jesus was not yelling at Peter. Empathy, compassion, care, and concern. Simon. Simon. Satan is asked to sift you as wheat. What's he saying? There's a storm fixing to blow your way. But here's some good news for all of us. Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus Christ, God's Son, is seated right this minute at the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there? Also interceding for us. Simon, 
assignment and put the compassion, care, and concern. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you that way right now? With empathy and compassion and care and concern. Not on your case, not in your face, not hassling you, but helping you. Not putting you down, but helping you up. Simon, Simon, Satan's asked to sit you as we, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Here comes my favorite word of this whole passage. And when you have turned back, when? What's the big deal about when? He didn't say if. He didn't say if you ever wake up and get your act together, get back on the job. In one word, Jesus predicted a positive outcome to the forthcoming storm. Simon, Simon, Satan's at the sister's weed, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, you turn back, get back on the job, keep wearing the jersey, you're still on the team, I'm not giving up on you. We need you around here. So what's he saying here? Well, in his boastful way, Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus tossed him a wake-up call. He said, get real, buddy, before the rooster crows. You'll deny three times that you even know me. What's the lesson in this passage? Principally this. Jesus knows our human situation. That we have an enemy whose strategy and tactic is to bring us down in defeat and failure. But not only does he go to bat for us in intercessory prayer, he predicts a positive outcome to the forthcoming storm. Well, let's continue following Peter's steps. They finished their meal. They went across the Kidron Valley. And um, they met in the olive grove. And we find a little more insight at verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance, but when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept. Luke found an adverb to tell us what kind of weeping was going on. What did he say? Bitterly. If he had the impression that he got a Kleenex and bought it a tear off his cheek, forget about it. The homework on that term bitterly means he fell in a pile like a sack of 100-pound feet kicked off the tailgate of a pickup truck. He tore his hair. He pulled his beard. He pounded his chest. It means convulsive, nauseated, self-loathing, heaving. He was absolutely sick of himself. You ever done what you promised you'd never do? Ever said what you promised you'd never say? Ever gone where you promised you'd never go? Ever been what you promised you'd never be? Got some good news for us all this evening. Jesus knows our human situation. 
but he also understands our failure. After the skirmish in the garden and Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss and some pushing and shoving going on, they led Jesus away. And Peter followed at a distance. King James says, afar off. You know, I've heard a lot of teachers and preachers beat up on Peter for following afar off. Well, at least he followed. Where were those other guys? It was a cool night, and there was a courtyard next to the building. And in the middle of the courtyard, the local town folk had kindled a fire. And to chase away the chilliness of the evening, the folks encircled the fire ring and sat down, and in unison they pressed their palms against the flames. In my mind, I can see some shadows dancing on a nearby rock wall. And Peter, with whatever subtlety he's capable of, found an opening in the fire circle and quietly encroached, kind of like an evangelist of baggage claim at the airport. He sat down and he joined the locals sharing the warmth. Pretty quick, a teenage waitress with a tilted head and a squinted eye and a pointed index finger really turned up the heat on Pete. Said this man was with him. And impulsively, abruptly, she said, Woman, I don't know him. Get the picture. Half hour earlier, he's the guy that pulled out a sword and started swinging when Judas came to betray Jesus. And a half hour later, now he couldn't even stand up under the pressure of the teenage waitress index finger. A little later, somebody else recognized him. He turned the volume up on his denial. Man, I am not. An hour later, somebody nailed him because of his Galilean accent. And he turned the volume to the max. Man, I don't know what you're talking about. About that moment in the pre-dawn hour, some multicolored rooster hopped on top a nearby rock wall, stretched out his neck, and he crowed out the indictment of Peter's triple denial. Bible says when the rooster crowed, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. I have a confession for you all tonight. For years, I've been guilty of assuming that was a dirty look, silently signaling to Peter through his countenance and gaze, way to go, you no good, low-down, flaky, irresponsible, undependable disciple. I told you we were going to mess up. But upon subsequent study and introspection and prayer and counseling, I've decided no way was that a dirty look. For Jesus to turn and give Peter an ugly, hateful stare and glare would be totally incongruous, inconsistent, and mismatched with what he said earlier. Simon, Simon. Empathy, compassion, care, and concern. Satan's asked to sit you as we. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, you turn back, strengthen your brother. For him now to turn and give him a dirty look would be totally inconsistent and mismatched with what he said earlier. I am now convinced beyond any debate when Jesus turned and looked straight out, Peter, there was a kindly gaze and a bit of a nod of reassurance. Hang in there, buddy. Remember we talked about this? You're going to get through this. 
I'm not giving up on you. You're still on the team. Keep wearing a jersey. We're going to get through this deal together. He knows our human situation, but he also understands our failure. Further insight from Peter's story we can find in John's Gospel. He takes initiative to restore us. Evidently, Peter was broke, told his fishing buddies, I got to go to work tonight. They said, we're broke too, we'll go with you. They spent the night fishing, didn't catch a thing. Jesus showed up on the beach, just like he did three and a half years earlier, filled their boat with a miraculous catch. You read the entirety of John 21, you find it as John, the beloved disciple, that recognizes, hey, you guys, that's Jesus up there on the beach. He just hauled in a big catch, 153 large fish. Guess we've always had a Sunday school superintendent taking a head count. Jesus realized, or Peter realized that was Jesus on the shore. Peter jumped in the water and swam 100 yards, the length of a football field. We pick up the story, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, what? Follow me. Rewind it. Three and a half years earlier. Jesus, baptized by John in the Jordan, led by the Spirit into the wilderness, hits Satan head on for those 40 days, leaves the wilderness, comes back down, and has to put together a team. Passes by Levi, Matthew's tax office, Heads down the beach and found four guys. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What do you say to those guys? Follow me. Now, after Peter's substantial failure, what's Jesus say to him? The same two words. Follow me. You want to know something? Your windshield... Way bigger than your rearview mirror. You might be thinking about, you don't know what I did. I don't have a clue what you did. You don't know how bad I've been in my business. You don't know how often I've failed. No, I don't have a clue. But I do know that you're here in chapel tonight because you care about God's call on your life. And he wants you to move ahead and look through the windshield and not keep looking in the rearview mirror. There's nothing you've ever done that he can't forgive. Nothing you ever will do that he can't forgive. He wants to use you as you are. What's the scripture saying to us tonight? He knows our human situation. He understands our failure. And he takes initiative to restore us. Three times Peter denied he knew the Lord. Three times Jesus said, oh, you did serious about loving me. And every time he got an affirmative answer, he said, get back on the job. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Get back to work. You're still on the team. I'm not giving up on you. Do you want to know what else I found out? 
next door in the book of Acts at chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, God needed a preacher. And of all those potential preachers available, who did he choose? Peter! Let's check it out. Acts chapter 2. We won't read the whole sermon, but at verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And he continued to preach his Pentecost Day message. And Luke gives us a bottom line conclusion of what happened at verse 40, Acts 2. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. What's the scripture saying tonight? Four things, simply, I like to get a good grip on before you head out. He knows your human situation. He understands your failure. He takes initiative to restore you. According to Acts chapter 2, he's got great plans for your future. Peter went on to have a significant, substantial impact for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ in his remaining years. Why? Because our windshield is way bigger than our rearview mirror. There came a time when Peter had to accept his forgiveness and to forgive himself. There comes a time for all of us here to accept our forgiveness and to forgive ourselves. I've wondered many times, what was it like for Peter between the day of his denial and the day of Pentecost? Something happened in his head and in his heart. Bible scholars say that Crucifixion was on Passover. The denial was the night before. And they tell us that Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So it tells me he had about 50 days after his triple denial to process his failure. I've wondered, were those other disciples restorative and affirming, helpful and caring? Or were they negative and critical and gossipy and pessimistic? I don't know. It's not in the book. But what I do know is a day came when Peter accepted his forgiveness and he forgave himself. And he went back at it. And a day comes for all of us when we need to thoroughly accept our forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and get back on the road. You can't spend the rest of your life beating yourself up for the mess-ups of the past. Why? I already told you. Your windshield, way bigger than your rearview mirror. Please stand.
to bow your heads. The Lord's here. He's spoken to our hearts. Perhaps some of us have needs. And we'd be the beneficiaries of an updated visit with the Lord. He's not here to hassle you. He's here to help you. Jesus never yelled at Peter and said, Peter, you get out of that boat. I want you up here on the shore. I want to talk to you. Peter swimming 100 yards on that cool morning was his initiative, triggered by his own interior desire to tag up with Jesus and talk things over and get things right. Maybe tonight would be a good time for you and the Lord to have an intimate, caring, private visit. He's here tonight to help you. He loves you more than you've ever discovered. And while Jonathan helps us with an invitation course, I would like to offer you a cordial and a respectful opportunity to step forward and kneel at the altar and talk things over with Jesus before you go. You may come while he sings. Jesus knows all about your yesterdays. He knows about where you are now in your relationship with him. He's got a great idea about you and your future in ministry as he's called you. But these are days when we can take some unprecedented steps forward and walk a new life and implement new obedience. He's not here to hassle you. He's here to help you. There may be others that need to pray. It's your call. No pressure from me. I'm going to sing one more chorus. And if the Lord's spoken to you about issues in your relationship with Him that need to be worked out, you may not complete the whole process, but you can advance that process of new victory before you leave. It's your call. You may come. We'll set, share one more chorus. Let's bow for a closing prayer. 
There may be some to whom the Lord has spoken about a spiritual need. And you're aware of issues that need your prayerful response. You can connect with him right there where you're standing. Let your heart respond. We have a bad habit. We default often to delay and denial, rationalization and procrastination. That's never in our best interest. Tonight can be a time of unprecedented spiritual growth and advancement. Realizing our windshield's bigger than a rearview mirror. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us tonight, the privilege of being together, this chapel service. We sent you presents and praise you for your nearness. Thank you for coaching us by your spirit from your word and those to whom you've spoken and who've responded, pursuing fresh victory in their lives. We want to say a special thank you and our heartfelt appreciation for your patience with us. Your mercy endures forever. Thank you that you taught us you'll never leave us or, or forsake us. So go with us now as we are dismissed. Let's just be a good evening and bring us back tomorrow for continued pursuit of your call in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Honor to be together. Thanks for coming. Hope you get back tomorrow night. You're dismissed.